Welcome back, everyone, to the Canadian Jewish Schmooze. I am Michael Freeman, And I'm Alex Rose. Today on the podcast, I am going to play an interview for you that I did with Adi Berkowitz. He is a composer and musician whose upcoming symphonic concert is called Journey Home. It's an ode to his father's three-month journey from Auschwitz after he was liberated back home to Transylvania. Before that, Alex, what do we have? Well, we're going to do a tribute to the Queen of Canadian kosher cooking, Noreen Gillitz. She's also, she was a former contributor to the CJN, and we're going to have our recurring guest, Ella Berkowski, on to discuss her legacy with us. But before that, we just have a few housekeeping notes that we're going to be taking care of. Um, on the note of Ella, we have uh, one, one big announcement. If you've been sort of zoning out uh, during our introduction, please stop zoning out and pay attention. This is big news. I'm very sorry to say, this is, this is bittersweet news. Alex Rose, you're leaving us. I am, yeah. Yes. Alex is leaving us at the end of April. Man, my, my heart is, is beating harder just saying it. Really? I'm going to miss you. Uh, yeah, I really like it here. <laughs> Alex is leaving the CJN. What are you doing? I'm going back to school um, for psychology and cognitive science at U of D. <laughs> <laughs> From from you think you're going to get a better job than at a Jewish community newspaper with that? Uh, I don't think I'll get a better workplace than this, to be honest. But <laughs> maybe you'll get one closer to your house. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about it more in probably my last episode. But I didn't have so many opinions about things when I came in, and I've learned a lot of things over the last few years. And I have some very strong opinions now, and it's hard to be a journalist when you have very strong opinions about the things you're reporting on sometimes. Right. <laughs> and you you have some plans for that. But like you said, we will talk more about your post cjn life on a later episode yeah. probably in mid-april mm-hmm. uh, and once you're gone i am now delighted to announce that ella burakowski has agreed to come on as interim 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 co-host. is the key word here <laughs> interim co-host um i'm hoping it will just never the interim will never end and it will continue thank uh, you michael indefinitely uh <laughs> No, thank you. Um, You'll make the podcast more interesting by actually like <laughs> disagreeing with Michael. Instead yeah, of I don't <laughs> agree with a lot. Michael says actually, <laughs> which is why we need, which is why we need you on the pod. <laughs> um, it's it's going to be good. We're going to have a good time, you and I. Good. There's going to be more. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. More more debates, more robust differences in yeah. in opinions. We come from different eras. We really do. And yeah. And, uh, you know, I see things a little differently than you do often. And um, I learn a lot from you, though. You know, you take me to a different place and you keep my eyes open. That is humbling. I would say that applies more to, to how I feel about you. Because uh, <laughs> I, am, I, am, I literally <laughs> learn things from you. I mean, you're older than me. You know more things. You've, you have a greater lived experience. And I think our listeners, I know our listeners have appreciated that. Um, and they've told me. That's how I know. Because people say, hey, Ella's really good. You should have her on the podcast more often. Well, yeah, my friend said the same thing. Ah, uh, thank you so much. To anyone who's ever said that, you've gotten your wish. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. We are going to be changing. I up. was actually pushed out, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> we can't have two young dudes on the Not only podcast. that, we grew up in the same neighborhood. We both went to Jewish day school, although yeah. you switched for high school. We went to the same university. We yeah. look the same. We, do. we, we he, sound the same. We sound the same. His parents sometimes can't tell who's talking it's, it's, in the podcast. It, it's a br- it, yeah. <laughs> this is a good evolution after one yeah. year of doing this yeah. podcast. This is, I didn't know that about you two. 
They went to the same university? Yeah. Yeah. I have this job because Michael reached out to shout out Sue Newhook, his former professor, my professor at the time about the job opening, and that's why I applied. Yeah. <laughs> I said, Sue, do you know any good Jewish journalists? And she said, yeah, I know a kid. <laughs> and uh, here I am. So, so, so that's it. Um, so I'm very excited. We are going to be changing up the format of the podcast a little bit. Um, as I was mentioning, they all were spitballing some new regular segment ideas. Uh, we're probably going to move the Jews need to worry about this to a just sort of recurring segment rather than a mandatory every episode segment. You're not going to hear it today either. Um, so there'll be some some fun changes with the show coming up. It's going to get more more loose, more organic, I think. Um, so stay tuned for that. That's going to happen end of April, early May. We're looking forward to it. Some other brief housekeeping notes. Alex, you wanted to talk about uh, an article that you read, I think maybe just following up on our last episode. Yeah. Um, so we talked to Yoni Belete last episode, who worked in the embassy in Ottawa, the Israeli embassy in Ottawa for three years. And his boss, Nimrod Barkan, who was the ambassador of Israel to Canada from 2016 to 2019, and John Allen, who from 2006 to 10 was ambassador of Canada to Israel, published an op-ed in the Globe and Mail called The Folly of Donald Trump's Middle East Peace Plan. And it's they basically just eviscerate the whole thing and talk about all the reasons it's bad and bad for Israel and bad for it standing on the world stage and, and bad for the Palestinian people and why they disagree with it strategically and ideologically and all these reasons. Um, and all I was thinking is like, <laughs> now there's a guy with some strong opinions who had to repress them for his job. <laughs> right. like, like imagine believing all this and just having to advocate for your country, which he did. You know, I think he, I saw him speak a few times. He was, he was very like charming and intelligent and I interviewed him and, and he like definitely gets the point across that Israel wants him to get across. But in the meantime, <laughs> you know, it's, it's tough to have jobs where you can't have your own opinions sometimes. Mm. And uh, now that he is not in that job, he's express expressing that opinion <laughs> very strongly. And you were saying that it, it's it's very unusual for people who are that close to the administration to actually be voicing something like that. Like the general tone, we talked about this before with most people like, oh, this is very interesting. We'll, we'll analyze this, which is maybe code for we're going to ignore this or um, or or outright saying it's a great plan like like many Israelis actually mm -hmm. do, even if they don't think it's going to happen. So yeah. this is sort of a departure from that and that it's just an outright criticism from someone who actually has skin in the game. Yeah. And not just skin in the game, but who is an Israeli diplomat at the highest level, because I think it's interesting. Sometimes people will, will express these kinds of opinions and then there's, do you know, the no true Scotsman fallacy where it's like, well, he doesn't, this person's not really a Zionist. This is what people who like in North America might express similar opinions and get labeled as like not a Zionist or don't care about Israel. Um, but there are people in Israel who have these kinds of opinions too, and people who yeah, operate in the highest level at Israel. So of course I think are. it's interesting that, you know, this is someone you can point to and, and say like, this is a legitimate <laughs> point of view. It's not a fringe point of view. And um, yeah. Wonderful. We'll, we'll, we'll be sure to bookmark the article and throw it in the face of anybody who <laughs> says it's a fringe point of view. Last bit of housekeeping uh, I wanted to mention very quickly before we get into the issues of this episode. Uh, in case you have not heard or in case you've forgotten, because we only mention it every episode lately, we have four new podcasts at the CJN Podcast Network. Two of them have already launched. Uh, one of those podcasts is called Kol Avram. It's a long-form interview podcast hosted by our good friend Avram Rosenzweig. The second episode of that podcast launched this week. Uh, it's a monthly podcast, so it's good. It's good to uh, you know. It's easy to keep up with that one, and uh, it's a wonderful episode. It's with Julius Sis, who's the founder of Jews for Judaism. It's a it's a very it's an hour and a half long interview with this guy. 
He talks about how he converted to be a, I don't know if you convert to Jews. Messianic Jew. Yeah, like a, a Jew for Jesus. Yeah. Uh, because he met a girl. Yep. <laughs> and uh, and then he talks about how he, he was there for five years, and then he, he found his way back to Judaism and, and started Jews for Judaism to, to counteract the Jews for Jesus movement. It's a very interesting interview. Uh, if you're interested, Google search uh Cole Avram or head to cjnews.com slash podcasts and you can subscribe there and hear the whole thing. All right, so um, now that the housekeeping is out of the way, we're going to talk about Noreen Gillett and, and Ella. I have to say, I wasn't so familiar with her before, but uh, since I've read about her, I think it's likely I've probably eaten a lot of her recipes over the years. I am sure that you have, especially if your mom is cooking for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Noreen was a very, very special person in the Canadian cooking scene. Um, she was one of the very first people I ever used from her cookbooks. I cooked anything from her cookbooks, and I'm not from the greatest of cooks either. But um, I think she wrote 12 cookbooks altogether. And the last one has just come out just a month or two ago, and she was already in palliative care, I believe, and it was called The Brain-Boosting Diet. And she wrote, she co-authored that with somebody, I'm not sure who it is. But she's done a couple of that. Uh, She's done a number of healthy cookbooks, um, you know, combating different um, diseases, like I think that she had one for um, uh, colorectal cancer. She's got one called The Healthy Kitchen, but she's most famous for her very first cookbook called Second Helpings, Please. And uh, Second Helpings, Please was um, something that they, I believe, compiled originally for B'nai B'rith women. And uh, she and another um, person, a friend of hers, and they just did it from their homes. And uh, she actually had a podcast, and she talks about how Second Helpings Please um, came to be. It's very interesting, actually. And it's really, I actually listened to it after she passed. And it was so nice to hear her voice and to hear her laughing and to hear her little dog Maisie barking in the background and everything. It was really nice. It was like she was right there. Was it a whole a whole podcast series or just one episode? Do you mean? I think she had three or four or five, maybe. Oh, so she, uh, when when did she start this? I guess recently, because not that been yeah, long. no, uh, maybe a year or two ago. Yeah, yeah not that long ago. Um, I think she had a good following because you know what, she had an amazing um, social media presence. Right. We were talking before, and and you've mentioned this numerous times that that the most active Facebook group you're a part of is not. I don't know, everything Jewish Toronto or or any sort of the CJN Facebook page <laughs> as much as it should embarrass us to admit but but Noreen Gillis's Facebook page you said or the, or the group it it just became a a catch-all place for people to just talk about about anything politics culture stuff like that is that is that right not exactly I'm wrong no, okay <laughs> what it's please called Noreen's me. kitchen okay and basically it's about food Okay, and people talk in there about about their recipes. If they need help, they ask for an opinion or a question, and they'll get tons of responses, tons of responses. And Noreen herself will chime in all the time. She was 
a very big part of the group. She was very proud before she passed. I think just the week before she passed, it um, that group hit 10,400 members. And uh, it took on her personality because she was very strong and very warm at the same time. And so the kind of things that went on in that group were, they revolved around food. So let's, people would post, every Friday they would post a picture of their Shabbat table and they would wish everybody in the group uh, Shabbat Shalom. Or around Passover or um, uh, the high holidays, everybody would post a picture of their table and all the different recipes they were making and where they came from, which book of hers they came from, if they altered anything, if they had any questions. Um, people also posted their simchas if they had a, you know, something special in their lives that happened. Um, or if somebody passed away who was from the kitchen. I mean, the it was a very, it was a family. And, gotcha. and they were called the Noreeners. And that's what we call ourselves, the Noreeners. Thanks so, to Fern Cohen, who made up that name. <laughs> so it, so it, I uh, gotcha. So it did evolve beyond just food, but it still was foundationally around food. It was almost like, like a dinner table, like you're gathered yeah. around food, but you talk about just how everybody's doing as well. I have a little story that was really nice. Last year at Rosh Hashanah, somebody posted that she needed a, a recipe for one because uh, she was only cooking for one. Well, everybody jumped on that bandwagon and invited her to their homes. And she ended up picking out of, I don't know, she probably had a couple of hundred choices. <laughs> and she ended up picking a home that she went to. And we did a story on it here at the CJN. Mm. It really was so lovely. And there's so many lifelong friendships that have been made. And so many spurned dinners, apparently. <laughs> yeah. And here in Toronto, we used to do something, uh, and we still do. We've, we just did one um, in her memory and her honor also. Uh, in Toronto, the day that of her funeral, we all met at uh, Kosher Restaurant Milk and Honey. And we talked about her, and we reminisced about her, and we told stories. And and uh, it's a group that we meet every once a month at a different restaurant. And Noreen came all the time. But yeah, what is it about Noreen and her work and her cookbooks that people really feel such a loss and felt so connected and just like people are moved at her passing? You know what? Noreen... Noreen was to cooking what Rembrandt is to art, was to art. So wow. if you grew up in the Jewish community, you ate Noreen's, Noreen's cooking. Um, a little while ago in January, I posted a, uh, a uh, poll to see what people's favorite recipes were. Hands down, it was the sweet and sour meatballs. Hands down. Mm -hmm. So everybody... Oh, I've had sweet and sour meatballs. And that was that, from that, Second Helpings, please. Absolutely. <laughs> Number two, Heavenly Chicken came in second. But um, that, that sweet and sour meatball recipe is iconic. It really is. It's an unbelievable recipe. It's very easy, and everybody makes it. And it's at every holiday table. And she is, you know, something, somebody to be remembered she's at, at she's going to be at everybody's holiday table at Pesach Noreen will be there in spirit because you're cooking from her books there's that those books are in every kitchen in every Jewish kitchen I, I can attest it's in fact in my mother's kitchen yeah. uh, <laughs> I saw I saw it last week um, that said 
though my mother certainly has it and and maybe hasn't even internalized some of the, some of the recipes. I don't know. I, I personally. Um, just because I've lived away from home for so long, like I don't have a copy of this. I enjoy cooking, but is is there a thread of a, of a generational break there where younger people, um, particularly because there aren't as many young people, say on Facebook, there aren't as many part of the group? Maybe I don't know. Like, is there? And we a, probably use uh, the internet more than physical cookbooks. If I need to make a matzo ball soup, I would just Google matzo ball soup recipe. Like, is is there a threat of uh, a generational break uh, happening? Do you think? No. Strong answer. Why? Because I'm going to tell you why. Because as as she developed, her cookbooks developed, and she understood that there was a younger generation, and she ended up um, co-authoring, I think, two, maybe even three cookbooks with Daniela Silver. Daniela Silver is probably your age, and her books are called, I believe, The Silver Palette, and they're amazing books. They're gorgeous books, first of all. They are um, uh, wonderful recipes in there. Daniela Silver's mother used to work at the CJN. She worked in... Of course. She was the art director at one time. Everybody at one time worked here, Risa. And, uh, even, if you, I, even if you didn't, someone you were related <laughs> to worked here. Yeah, I worked with her. She was fabulous. And um, her, her recipes have evolved, you know, because Second Helpings had schmaltz in it. I mean, I can't imagine, Michael or Alex, that you're going to eat schmaltz today, are you? Unless you're talking about Anthony Rose's restaurant. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Is that even still open? So, I think it's the catering service, actually. Gotcha. Well, anyway, Asha. yes, I understand. <laughs> yeah, no, so but. now she has the healthy kitchen and she has the brain-boosting diet and she has all kinds of healthier recipes as well as online. She has a website called Gourmania. She also has a whole line of food in all the uh, grocery stores. There's Noreen's kugelettes and her soups and, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. So she she just branched right out. But there is uh, – and, again, I, I, I'm just sort of pausing some challenging questions just because just I honestly don't know the answer. I mean, there, there has been a shift away from that classical mid-century Jewish food, schmaltz, liver and onions, deli, right? Like we've seen this certainly in restaurants. There's been a shift away from that. And toward healthy options, Israeli stuff. I know you say that she's written some healthy cookbooks. I I can't imagine that they're as iconic, are they? Oh, they are. They all are iconic. And you know what? She reached out to the Jewish community. And in a lot of her recipes, she's put other people's recipes and given them credit for it. And there's, there's stories in, in a lot of these recipe books, background to where the recipe came from, why it's healthy, nutritional information, all kinds of stuff. Well, okay. That's wonderful then. It's good to hear that she evolved with the times. I have just about every single one of her cookbooks. I would love to bring them in and show them to you. I would love that too. I I, I love to cook at home. I'm doing a kitchen renovation this yeah. summer. I'm, I've, I want to use it. And and if, if you're, are you going to have a Passover Seder? Uh, we will probably start hosting our own Passover Seder once our house is not under renovation. So maybe that's in, I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> If you go to one, I guarantee you, you'll have one of Noreen's recipes there. Do you have any any good personal stories, uh, interactions with her, um, having known her for, for some years? I, I have a, a funny story, actually. Um, first of all, a, a nice story is when I was writing Hidden Gold, um, she said to me, she was very supportive. And she wanted me to um, put my story on her page, even though it wasn't food related, as a matter of fact, 
everyone was starving, right? It was the Holocaust. Mm. So she said, you know what? Put it on my page and just start, preface the whole um, status with food for thought. <laughs> so I put food for thought and then I put whatever information I had about, <clears throat> excuse me, hidden gold. That's great. I think <clears throat> I think that's why I thought it was about more than food. I think you told me that story and I remember yeah. it. So I, I, but, but that's really, that's very cute. Yeah. And one of the funny stories is um, I have one of her very original uh, printings of Second Helpings. I don't know how many printings there were, maybe 14, maybe more, lots. Wow. And in, in one of... Wait, sorry, maybe four, oh, 14, 14 uh, printings, 14 versions, you mean. Uh, Not 14 uh, copies of the first printing. No, no. <laughs> gotcha. Like it, every time it reprints... I thought the same thing for a second. Every yeah. time it reprints, yes. it's another version. So right? you have right. one, of, one of the first edition second yes, things. Yes, exactly. Sorry, that's exactly what I meant. Yeah. So I have one of the first editions. And when I was a little girl, my father, he worked in a factory. And, and for Christmas, as a gift, his... his boss gave him gave out turkeys and he brought home this turkey my mother had already passed away so we didn't have anyone to cook and I thought you know what I have the second helpings on the shelf I'm going to make the turkey so I open up the second helpings and never having really cooked anything in my life I started following the directions well there was a typo oh and it called for 14 cups of breadcrumbs <laughs> and two stock two stalks of celery so I went to Open Window Bakery, which was on Bathurst Street in those days, and I bought tons of breadcrumbs. And I had bowls of breadcrumbs sitting on my counters in the kitchen with a little bit of celery in this one, a little bit of celery in that one. <laughs> Long story short, I ended up throwing the whole turkey and the breadcrumbs in the garbage, but it's such a fond memory. I love that story. <laughs> I didn't realize. You didn't realize. No. Well, at what no. point did you realize you... I think I was like was 14 or 15 <laughs> years old. I was young. I was pretty young. Yeah. What, did you still blame yourself after? Did you finally realize at the end that the book had the mistake in it? Oh, well, obviously, I realized it when I started to stuff the turkey. And first of <laughs> and all, I didn't exploded. know that there was something inside the turkey you have to take out first. <laughs> I had no idea. Even so, less room. Even less room. And, you know, I got halfway through the first bowl and I still had like six bowls to stuff in there. <laughs> and it was already stuffed. And I thought, now what am I going to do? <laughs> it was probably something like 14 tablespoons or no it was, four, i think four, four cups four cups instead gotcha. of 14 cups yeah wow it really shows that she's you know been with you for almost your whole life at yes this point. absolutely and also that you will follow her work yeah. like gospel. <laughs> <laughs> well that's wonderful she was a fabulous fabulous woman and we will miss her all of us will really really miss her absolutely i look forward to finding some of her recipes and carrying on the tradition in my own kitchen i'm glad to hear that For our last segment, I'm going to play for you an interview I recorded a few weeks ago with Adi Berkowitz. He is a musician and composer. He has written a concert that is based on the story of his father's own journey home after he was liberated from Auschwitz. Uh, it was a three-month journey that his father took to get home uh, to, to a, a small city in, in Transylvania. Um, it's, it's a fascinating story. Adi's a very interesting guy, and uh, he's also going to play uh, one of the songs from that concert for you at the end of this interview. So stay tuned and enjoy. Well, I'm here in the self-built studio of Adi Berkowitz. He is a local 
composer, musician, uh, jack of multiple trades, as I have just learned, <laughs> construction being one of them. Adi, as I understand, you, you, you have a, an interesting, unique concert that is coming up on March 25th, and I would love to sort of understand, just go for it. Tell me, tell me the backstory of it. Tell me what's going on. Sure, I'd be, I'd be happy to. Uh, so to begin with, I really appreciate the opportunity um, to explain that. So basically, uh, so my dad, um, he was in Auschwitz at Birkenau in 1944. He was there for um, the better part of a, of a year, and uh, he survived. Um, after the Allies uh, um, arrived, he was then actually uh, liberated. And the problem there is that he, he didn't have any kind of a way to get home. As we know, like back then, there's no internet, there's no maps, there's no nothing. Um, he had to figure out how to get home. And it took him three months. He was completely homeless. He was hungry. He was cold. He just had this incredible type of... of um, of a power to live and a determination to just, you know, to just actually get home. And after I've learned about the story from him as to how he got home, uh, as a musician, it kind of uh, hit me that, you know, I need to make a musical out of this. Now, a musical, how is that actually done? I was thinking it could be a play, it could be, you know, a concert, but I'm an actual uh, composer and a musician, so as you said, so um, I think for me the best um, uh, possible uh, expression for me is to is is to create a concert. Uh, before you go much further, I'm curious if you can tell me a bit about what you said was a three month journey of his getting home. Do you know many of the details? I know all of the details. Um, he did. Um, it was a Spielberg thing that he did in the 90s. They interviewed over 50,000 people who survived around the world. And he was invited to be interviewed. So it was on tape. I've, I've got the tapes over there. And um, his interview was over, over four hours long. And it explained, you know, right from the very beginning all the way, all the way to the end. Uh, but the part, again, that really uh, hit me as... as um, as you know, as a captivating, inspirational uh, message was the journey that he took to get home. So the project is called uh, Journey Home. It's it's an homage to my dad. It's a huge inspiration, and I wanted to to write this to hopefully inspire others. Not not to recreate the whole four hour uh, <laughs> explanation, but but just the sort of gist of it. You know, walking, taking boats. Like, what what was that journey like? Uh, well, the main thing were uh, trains. Um, he had to hop on uh, cargo trains. The idea of a passenger uh, train, it just it didn't exist, right, because of the chaos. Um, but he, <laughs> he did a lot of different things. Uh, he stole a horse. And <laughs> he, he stole a horse and carriage and uh, used it for uh, almost a week to, to, to get to Berlin. Wow. Um, from there, he knocked on random houses to get food. He slept on the street. He, you know, um, and it's not only him, it's my uncle too. He had a younger uh, brother uh, who survived as well. They were together. They were together. So, so my dad was only 16. My uncle was only 13 at the time. So, but of course, 
you know, um, they were alone as, as a pair. And my dad was, um, he was, you know, like the leader of the pack, right? If, if you will, he just used his instincts and he did whatever it took to get home. And I'm pretty amazed that he even got there. Uh, so that's exactly what that was. What, what city was he from? He was from, uh, he was from, uh, Cluj, which is a part of, 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 uh, Transylvania. Did, yeah. Does he talk about what that feeling was like when he finally made it after three months? Absolutely. Uh, there's a, there's, so there's a piece in the concert that's the ending uh, piece, which is uh, a reunion where um, he finally got back to Cluj and it, it explains how that whole thing, you know, all happened. There was really nobody there to welcome them. It was really interesting. Wow. He had to find his way back you know, in the city itself. I, I might be misremembering this. You didn't ever speak with your dad about this stuff, did you? That's a good question. You know what? No, he was very quiet about it. He didn't really talk about the war too much. He just wanted to live life. Were you ever curious? Did you ever want to ask him? I was curious, um, but I was always afraid to ask him, right? It's I, It kind of, I felt uncomfortable asking him. Yeah. Especially as a kid, I, I have no idea, right? At the age of 10, as to what you know happened, uh, when he did the interview, 1995, I was already in my 20s. Um, but it's interestingly enough, though, it took me 10 years or so to watch the video to get the courage to watch it. It's a right. big deal, right? Because it, it's heavy. So, w w did you know he was doing it as he was doing it? Yes, yes. So, uh, so you distanced yourself from that whole thing at the time. Well, we all did because the interview was happening in the dining room of his of of, of our house at the time. And uh, we weren't allowed to be in there, obviously. So we knew it was happening. <laughs> right, and gotcha. We knew it was happening. And we had to wait about a month until we got the tapes. And yeah, it took me over 10 years after that to watch it. Why didn't you want to watch it when it came out? I think um, I think I would, I had this instinct in me that I would just be very upset or I would actually break down because my grandparents never made it, right? So I never met them. They got to Auschwitz and they were gone within a day. So uh, I was really apprehensive. But then as I got older, I matured a little bit. And then I thought, okay, I got to watch this interview. And uh, I watched it a few times, but I always watched the part of the journey home that he took. I thought it was really fascinating and very, it was positive, even though it happened in a negative uh, period of time. Right, it's extremely positive. He just kept going and going and going and going. Right. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, is your father still alive? No, he passed away um, 13 years ago. Gotcha. So you yeah. finally watched it after he had passed, or before? Uh, I watched it. No, I watched it before he passed. Um, but I watched it in in uh, pieces because it was very long. So I sure. took you know half an hour here, half an hour there. So no, 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 he was he was around, and afterwards I gave him a big hug. Oh. And, you know, it was, it was really incredible. But then I left it for a couple of years again. And then I came back and I listened, or then uh, I watched it again. And then I really watched it again, you know, intently. Now I watch it. I have to watch the parts of the journey home on a daily basis because we've got the music to finish. We've got, you know, all all the pieces to finish so with this really, thing. It's really flipped. Now it's like a part of your you know daily professional life. Exactly. And you know what? In 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 all honesty, it's very, it's it's a comforting, um, it's a comforting kind of 
um, expression because he, when he talks, I hear his voice now, right? And it's, it feels good. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It puts me into a happy place. Do you think he would have uh, been happy that you're turning his story into a musical? A musical production of some a sort? A musical production? He would probably say, you know, Adi, what are you doing this for? This is no big deal. Right? This is this is this is no big deal. This is just what we did. We did yeah. what we have to to survive. We're all survivors, right? As humans, um, he he wouldn't have wanted to make a big deal out of it, right? But for some reason, there's something burning in me that, uh, you know, I was I've been really at the point where I composed all the music in bits and in also uh, pieces, you know, over the last ten or eleven years. And I thought now's the time to just get this finished because my mom's alive. She's she's 86 and I want her to see this. So what did compel you to actually act upon it and and write something after so many years? Uh, I think it's, I I don't know exactly what it was, to be honest. It was just a switch in my brain flipped. It flipped and it just said, man, you you have to finish this or don't. You know, you got to do it or get off the pot. Right, and I. Is this something about you getting older, maybe, or or your parents getting older, or your mom, I mean, getting older? That's a that is a part of it for sure, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. What kind of music? Sorry, I don't know much about your biography, but neither sure. do our listeners, so it's convenient. Yeah, all uh, good. What, what kind of music have you composed in the past? With what's what have you worked on? I've worked on it's primarily just the, the music that I like to listen to. So if if you're if you're a fan of of uh, Yanni, you're gonna love this concert. There's violin, there's cello, there's drums, there's bass, there's guitar, there's a uh, piano, which which uh, which basically I will be on, right? Um, I play the piano and also uh, keyboards in the show, and uh, that's the kind of stuff I I, I love to write. Um, I'm also a prog rock listener, so I. I, I, I love to compose in in that uh, arena as as well. But, cool. so, but so I'm picturing kind of like I, I don't know musical terms, but sort of like symphonic, uh, yeah. sort of uh, almost ambient, a kind of a moody kind of post rock thing. Yeah, there's well, progressive rock is different than the concert, right? Progressive rock is more like right. That's what you normally listen. That's to the older stuff, okay, absolutely. Okay. But this one is is more orchestral, so you can think orchestral. But with but with um, with a twist, it's got the twist where you know an orchestra usually doesn't have a bass and a guitar, and the drums. Gotcha. So I'm kind of amalgamating all of it. Are you are you going into klezmer much, or are you staying out of klezmer? There 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 is one piece which is an homage to that. Um, it's honoring a violin, a special one that will be in the concert. So uh, it is going to have, on that one, it's going to have that uh, type of expression. So if I can explain the importance of, of that instrument. Yeah, well, you mentioned it before. You said, do you know about the violin? I said, I don't know about the violin. Yeah, so, totally, so totally. tell me now about the violin. This oh, is the moment. Okay, so, so what happened was my dad and my uncle were liberated. The Allies came, the Americans came, and they gave them uh, water, they gave them uh, food, um, that's, uh, I, I, so I, I have to note, he was in actually, uh, Ludwigslust at the end. Um, they left Auschwitz-Birkenau in January and they were, uh, transported from, uh, camp to camp to camp. Um, and, 
they ended up in uh, in uh, Ludwigslust, which is you're left there to starve essentially, right? Now, um, after three weeks of no uh, water or no food or whatever, the Americans arrived and um, they brought them everything that they ever needed. Now, my dad was hesitant to leave the camp, though. He didn't, at that uh, point, he never uh, trusted anybody, nobody at all. He's like, well, I've got a roof over my head. I've got food. I've got everything I need. I'm going to hang out here for a couple of days. So uh, the day after the Americans arrived, uh, he wanted to learn how the Nazis actually lived. So he went into the barracks of, of, of the guards, of the Nazi guards. He just wanted to look around. He didn't see a lot. He saw, you know, their clothing, etc. There wasn't a lot that he saw. But in a particular barrack, he saw, he saw a violin in its case up against the wall. And uh, now the significance of it is his dad was a violin lover and a music lover. They both actually were. They they used to play uh, records all the time of uh, classical pieces. So the violin was a big inspiration for him as well. So without even thinking about it, he picked it up and he carried it all the way home as a good luck uh, charm. That's a big charm. It's a very big charm. And uh, I have it here. And uh, it was uh, appraised. Um, doesn't have a lot of kind of a cash uh, value it's 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 a factory made you know thing but it's it's 100 years old now but it's the meaning behind it right yeah, i was going to say it must be one of the more valuable uh, things in your house yeah at least sentimentally speaking it's 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 the violin and the case itself because it's the case th- that he clutched right um so i i had it inspected um it's it's a completely uh, playable um, uh, like instrument, so we're we're actually it'll be played in the concert on a on a particular piece, which will have that uh, type of of expression gotcha. that you mentioned. Wow, it, it'll be it'll be incredible, and that one will be a completely instrumental piece because we want this thing to soar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's it's pretty rare. So so uh, just it, to wrap things up a little bit, the uh, the show is March twenty fifth. Uh, where is it again? It's at the Richmond Hill uh, Performing Arts. Uh, it's at uh, Young and the Major Mac area. And where can people find tickets? Uh, they can get tickets um, on uh, journeyhome.live. Perfect. Is, is, is the site. Yeah. And, and before we wrap up, um, I did want to get some kind of the music on this podcast. Do you want to play something right now or do you have a recording? What, what are you thinking? Yeah, I'd be happy to play you a piece, or we could we could pull up a recording, no problem at all. Yeah, it's it's however right. you like. Yeah, I'd be happy to pull it up. Uh, let's play a piece. Yeah, let's do let's do a, a live thing. I'd be happy to play a uh, a piece of it. Sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. So before we get started, uh, what's the name of the piece? So this one is called uh, Horse, and it is a tribute to the horse that he stole. <laughs> in order to get uh, to Berlin. Um, they actually traveled with this horse almost 200 uh, uh, kilometers. And uh, t- t- it took them a few days, actually almost a week, I think it was. Nice. Yeah. All right, well, I'm excited to hear it. Let's Let's do it. Okay, here we go.
So that's the idea there. Nice. Very nice. Well, thanks. Awesome. Well, uh, if anyone wants to hear more of it, they know where it is. Richmond Hill uh, uh, Performing Arts Center, yes. something like that. Yes. <laughs> we'll have the link in uh, in the show notes and on cjnews.com. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. That, that, that's going to be a great show. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. And uh, it's going to be very inspirational and very powerful. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks so much, Addy. Wow. Well, yeah. I thank you. <laughs> That has been your episode of the Canadian Jewish Schmooze. Once again, I'm Michael Freeman. And I'm Alex Rose. And introducing Ella Burakowski. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for coming on and chatting with us about uh, Noreen, the late Noreen Gillets. And thank you to Adi for chatting with me as well. You can find all of our podcast episodes at cjnews.com slash podcasts, where you can subscribe to this. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. We are at CJN Podcasts. Our intro music is by Vanya Zhuk. Our outro music is by Lache Swing. David Collin is our promotions manager and also our overstuffed turkey. I produce and edit this podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Until next time. Thank you.